0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another Agency Hacker episode. I'm Lance Johnson, one of the coaches here. And I'm happy to be with Sandra Stepan. She is the co-founder of Snap Advantage and uh, World Traveler. Get more languages than I have toes, I think. It's really impressive to just see all the things that uh, she and her partner have done. Sandra, is so glad to have you on the show.
1: Thank you. So glad to be here. I can definitely sing some songs and order white wine in many languages, but that's <laughs> about it.
0: <laughs> the critical things, yeah, the you know steps that you can't skip when visiting other countries. So, Sandra, you all have a pretty neat lifestyle going on. You're the in the digital nomad camp. Mm-hmm. Um, but take us back to Snap Advantage, getting started, and what you all do.
1: Absolutely. So I started Snap Vintage uh, six years ago with my partner, Search. And when we started, we actually did a lot of lead generation. The agency looked quite quite differently than what it does now. Uh, Not that I don't like doing lead gen, but, you know, it evolved. Um, When we got started, just to take a step back first, um, Search has always been an entrepreneur. So he had um, e-commerce stores that he started on his own. He had a very successful meditation and jewelry store, and he took me to a business mastermind in Bali. So that was the first time in Asia, and the first time that I met a group of entrepreneurs that didn't have a marketing background, and they're making money while in Asia. So I said, yeah, I definitely want to do this. I don't care how much I love my job. I love my job. I worked at a startup. And I will never forget the moment when we were at a beach bar in Bali, the day that we're supposed to leave. And Sir phone was going off. Um, He was making sales while we were drinking sangria. So I said, tomorrow when we get home, I'm going to quit my job. And I did. Wow. so i yeah that's pretty much it um i, I told uh, my boss that he wasn't offended um uh, he he got where i was coming from yeah. um so i actually started working in e-comm with search so we are e-comm entrepreneurs as well
0: oh wow but,
1: yeah we um actually have uh, quite a couple stores that we started a couple brands and um search said you know what with your sales skills i used to work in sales and my marketing skills we should really open up an agency so I uh, used to do a lot of cold calls before I had no website, no branding. I just started emailing, cold calling and realized that people wanted to pay me to solve their marketing problems. So that was about six years ago and we did a lot of lead gen, a lot of service businesses um, um, that we were involved in and a little bit. It evolved a little bit into social media marketing and email marketing. Um, Fast forward, um, we took a little bit of a break because one of our other stores started taking off. We um, sold the initial store, traveled the world, went back to Bali, went to Thailand, (laughs) and we ended up building another store that we actually grew from zero to over a million in less than a year with our own money. Now, in 2019, Q4, so if you work with e-com a lot, uh, you'll know that Q4 is critical. We make most of our money in Q4, right? Mm-hmm. We decides to shut our account down. So we have been victims of the Facebook algorithm or whatever Facebook, uh, you know, personality has to say to us. And our account was shut down after our biggest month ever. Um, And that's when I said, we can't rely on Facebook anymore to bring in all of our sales. We need to diversify our traffic sources. So I spent a lot of time, effort, energy, and money in learning how to do that. And then we reinvented our agency. And two years ago, we said, all we're going to be doing now is help businesses diversify their traffic sources. So I know it was a long answer, but um, there's a lot that goes into the story because You know, it's always peaks and valleys, right? When you start an agency, when you start a business, it's never a straight line. So currently what we do is we work mostly with e-com businesses that um, need to diversify their traffic sources to scale and scale profitably. Most companies right now, they still rely on Facebook and Google to bring in most of their sales. And we work with companies to build and leverage digital assets so that when you are also a victim of the algorithm, um, that you don't suffer too much um, as a result. So long answer to your question.
0: Oh, don't even worry about it. That was perfect. So let's just back up. When you say doing lead gen, mm-hmm. you guys were, were doing like rank and rank kind of lead gen, or you were doing like, hey, we'll do SEO that generates leads or pay-per-click, or what was the lead gen like?
1: Uh, mostly pay-per-click, mostly Facebook okay. and Google ads, a little bit of ranking, mm-hmm. but mostly ads.
0: That's cool. And then what made you all switch from that? Was it just how saturated the market was getting? Or, yeah, what was the thought process.
1: Yes. So um, because we worked mostly with Facebook, Facebook started changing a lot. So when we started doing e-com back in 2015, 2016, um, those were the good days when you, you know, $1 in, $5 out type of thing. So a lot of rules changed, a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of things changed. So for us, um, the challenge was that we worked mostly with the insurance and mortgage industry and those um, laws and regulations have been changing so we had a hard time producing leads for a cost that made sense for our clients so we Kind of had to phase that out. We still do a lot of legion now, but we are doing the ranking model and not so much the ads model anymore.
0: That makes total sense. Mm-hmm. I remember you said before the call that you were working with the cleaners that did our uh, my wife's wedding dress yes. preservation. We yes, yes,
1: we're working with them right now. We're we're doing their social media.
0: What a random connection, but super cool. So I just, I wanted to dive into one of the things that you you mentioned, and I feel like most agency owners would probably not mention it as casually as you did. I'm really impressed that you just said, well, at the beginning, I just started sending out emails and cold calling. We didn't have any presence. So what is that still your prospecting method that you all do a lot of cold outreach and you, you have a great friendly demeanor and you seem like you could hop on the phone and be really pleasant. Um, but is that still a big part of what you all do for prospecting?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It will be very hard to convince me that cold outreach doesn't work. Yes, it's harder. Too. Honestly, yes, it's harder I'm Totally
0: with you totally with you.
1: It's, um, it's fun and easier to um, not to call anyone out but to hide kind of like behind a computer and to run ads and to spend money on ads. Um, and look, I am a digital marketer. Uh, I own a marketing agency. So I'll never say don't spend money on marketing. But when it comes to B2B and when it comes to asking people for thousands of dollars to spend with you, you're asking them to invest in you as a person. You're not necessarily just you're not just asking them to invest in your processes and um and you know the Facebook and Instagram rules and so on. They want to work with a person that will be responsible for their marketing, for their social media, for their campaigns that can make decisions and uh, Yeah. that humanizing touch in their marketing so i like to add a humanizing touch in my outreach so i don't do all my outreach i do some of my outreach but i will never shy away from cold video prospecting cold email prospecting right right i (laughs) said so i see that you're you're pretty much on board with this too right
0: (laughs) i am So when I ever I talk to an agency owner and they're like, oh, I'm just trying to figure out how to scale to a million, like trying to hit my first million. Like, honestly, there is no question in my mind how you do this. Now, the question is like, does it is it something you want to do? Right. Mm-hmm. Because maybe you say, I don't like doing that. And so I'm not going to do it, which is totally fine. There's no problem with you just hating it so much that you don't want to do it. Right. I get it. But I do think that we do ourselves a disservice when we don't tell the truth. And if we say, ah yeah, cold calling doesn't work anymore because people don't want to be sold to, I think it's just it's just not true. It's okay if I don't like doing it, but it does work, right? It, cold outreach does work and it works for any product. Um,
1: Absolutely. And, I mean, like
0: I just got off the call before this podcast with a person We're we're testing out more direct mail. We're saying mm-hmm. hey, can we increase the conversion rate by doing more direct mail and have some kind of personalized gift or something that gets people on those calls even easier? But it's still cold outreach, right? Whether Absolutely. I send you a box with an iPad in it or whether I send you an email with a link in it, it's still cold outreach. And yeah.
1: Absolutely. Well, as humans, we don't like rejection. That's yeah. uh, you know, and I'm I'm not um, I don't know a lot about human psychology. Uh, a, lot, a lot of other people know a lot more than me, but. Um, i'm trying to stay correct to the fact here but i read somewhere that this really stems from back in the old days when um if you weren't following the crowd then you would be shamed right so if you were mm-hmm. dressed differently if you look differently then you would be shamed you would be um thrown away from the community they will be pointing fingers at you um right. they wouldn't want to have you in their community so i read somewhere that we 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 evolved somehow with this fear of being rejected um, as human beings. And, um, you know, cold calling is 90% of the times rejection. Yeah. But when you, just like everything else, when you do it a lot and do it over and over and over again, you become desensitized to rejection, and you know that every no brings you closer to a yes. And yeah. you don't need 100 yeses. You need one yes out of 100 calls that will lead you to your next big partnership. I have called companies well over a billion dollars. I have called um, CEOs, uh, CEOs of billion-dollar companies. I've called Macy's before. I've called Waste Management before. Yeah. And they're, they're people. They're humans. And chances yeah. are, when you're calling a decision maker, they have been where you are. Most decision makers, especially in... Um, in, in big companies, they have started from, you know, the ground up. They have done the grunt work and they have at some point in their lifetime cold outreach, cold called, cold email, cold direct mailed something on something something along those lines.
0: Yeah and i think that you hit on something with naming the numbers right some yeah. people if it's all about expectations like when we first started with we had an appointment setting agency and we mm-hmm. were going from google ads where we got all inbound requests and we were stuck our agency was at like maybe 500 600k a year and we were really really stuck um and we were getting a lot of price shoppers and it just it was tough but we were used to people coming in warm and ready for our service mm-hmm. so then when we switched the outbound method at first we said oh this doesn't work like these leads aren't any good what's going on but I had to recalibrate and say what what is good and now I look at it and go oh you made you made 30 to 40 dials and you got one connection great right like that's what that's a good connection rate. Right? it's not perfect it's not amazing but it's good enough and then you had like out of those three connections you know you got out of if you had three connections you got one appointment like great and it's gonna march down so i had to readjust what i was expecting because before if it's inbound and i call 30 leads that we just got and i get one to connect with me i think oh there's something really wrong Mm
1: -hmm. Um, i wonder if
0: people get stuck on that portion of the outbound inbound too
1: it could be demoralizing it, it could be demoralizing I think sales especially outbound sales is it's one of the hardest job out there
0: yeah it really yes yeah.
1: because you're, you're you're exposing yourself to like I said rejection and it takes yeah. a lot of effort and it takes a lot of dials and a lot of outreach yeah. but I I still think it's necessary so humans totally still agree. want to do business with humans
0: yeah I agree. Okay, so shifting gears a little bit. you all started, you have an e-commerce background, exited to store, you got shifted gears a little bit, took a break, Bali, it sounds nice. Yeah. and then came back and you're like, man, this is uh, tricky. We got our ad account shut down. We've experienced this pain, and so we want to help others not experience this pain. Yes. And I think that's a great way to have an agency going. It's like we know this is a problem. We've yeah. solved it for ourselves. Now, tell me a little bit about what your agency, trajectory is right i think everybody's got something they're working towards so what's the trajectory you're hoping to take snap advantage on
1: yeah so you mentioned the uh the seven figures earlier that's definitely the um, um the goal for us next year um we've been through a lot of changes and a lot of trial and errors with the um, with the agency um so one thing that we've noticed is that our clients want myself or search involved in the projects. Mm. And I know that everybody talks about outsourcing yourself and, and yes, that's all great. But when the product is you and I don't mean to sound, you know, uh, too important yeah. now, but um, the reason why most of our e-com clients um, work with us is because we have a background in e-com. So we understand their problems well beyond marketing. When I started um my our last venture Serge and i we encountered so many problems so we're selling medical devices and we encountered rejection from shopify we weren't able to use their payment method so we had uh, to get creative you know, on how to get um how to get paid we had to figure out um who wants to work with us? Because it was still a high risk. Um, we, When we started becoming successful, we had a lot of companies trying to copy us. So they were using our name and even sending customer support inquiries to our uh, customer support because we have hundreds of five-star reviews and oh most of them goodness. talk about our customer support. So mm. we know the problems that our clients are encountering well beyond marketing. We understand their customer service, their operations, their supply chain issues, their reputation management. So- um our clients want to work with with myself in search so um one of the problems that we've encountered in scaling no man, mind you we still started from not even zero we started from dead and we went <laughs> to multiple six figures a year in just a year and a half since we restarted um was that i obviously can't stretch myself too thin and we've taken we've said yes to too many opportunities that didn't align with us so i always mm. said you know, when we started a couple of years ago, I said, I want 20 clients at 5K each to start with and then yeah. scale from there because that's, that's definitely manageable, right? It's 20 clients that I can take care of um, every month and be project manager on. However, I started taking on um, smaller clients, which is fine as long as there is room to grow. But when yeah. you start diversifying too much who you're serving, you can't systemize things as well, right So exactly. I started acting not in accordance to who I wanted to be. So I said yes because we needed money and I said yes because I liked these founders and the I was working with but I wasn't thinking, sure, this, this business might be great for me right now, but a year from now, when I want to be at at least 100K a month, are they going to be there? Is there room to grow for them or do they want to cap? And um, the trajectory for us right now is Serge and I still want to be involved in every project. We've tried the project manager route. Client sure. said, no, we want to we like what you involve. We like the fact that you know e-comm um, just as well as we know e-comm. So our route right now is to really only work with companies that match us and companies for whom we can offer the best service. Because, um, again, I can't stretch myself too thin, so I want to dedicate attention and effort into every client. So being extremely uh, particular with who we're working will serve everybody. We've also had a lot of... um, process issues. So we had to figure out our processes, our operations, our team. So that's been our challenge over the last year. And I think we got there. I think we we got to a point where we have an awesome team that believes in the same stuff as Serge and I do that are just as obsessed with quality as we are. And the next step is to um, um, only accept clients that really, really match us.
0: Yeah. I have I feel like client selection is probably, if, if you can only pick one thing, right, it's like client selection. And the weird thing is while there is there is some level of difference in booking appointments with say, uh, I, I don't know, a $500,000 a year e-com store versus a $500 million a year e-com store, it's not like a 10X difference, right? Where you're um, like, it, it takes almost the same amount of effort. It, it, there are less of those really huge ones and there's less people to get in touch with because of that. So, you know, the conversion rate's got to be a little higher, but yeah, I can totally appreciate that. We're,
1: I completely right agree course. with you. And, um, again, I think going back to the fear of rejection, looking back, I think I was, I was feeling the same thing. Um, I didn't want to go for the big, big companies because I thought, well, you know, I'll be rejected. It'll take a lot. It, it doesn't take a lot, um, a lot more. Um, I'll tell you this, my five, K six K a month clients, they take pretty much the same level of effort as Mm -hmm. my one or two K clients, because um, I also found that bigger companies they are more open to risk versus smaller companies, um, they are more protective of their funds. And um, again, when you're starting out, especially when you're not starting with with added funding, you have to say yes to opportunities because you want cash flow. That's the most important thing when you're starting out is having cash. But At one point, you need to start realizing they can't say yes to everybody. And again, I'm not um, discriminating against smaller businesses. I love working with small businesses, but I love working with businesses that want to grow. if they are too protective of their own processes and they're trying to oversee every step of the project, I mean, we've had businesses that um rejected content that we created for social media because we didn't leave a period or we left a period after an emoji that level of involvement it's not going to do any of us good because i can't spend my time on high leverage um activities i have to take care of your emojis um, so you know <laughs> clients that are too protective or maybe small businesses that don't have their online identity yet and we're going back and forth back and forth too much we're we're putting all this effort into um, things that maybe don't necessarily matter or they're going to be changed or companies that um, are are not yet uh, ready to take that leap of faith and start investing more to scale. Um, those kind of businesses, Sometimes they're not a good fit for us, so we just had to start um, saying yes only to businesses that are scaling, that are willing to, uh, you know, go the mile with us, and uh, and that and that's that's my grand plan.
0: <laughs> that, that makes total sense. And speaking of ideal clients, I want to give a shout out for the Agency Hacker, the uh, website that we have up, just because, man, the problems that you're talking about actually remind me of. One of the the critical, like we just think of a couple pillars to grow an agency that you like running and that makes a, a good living. And one of the biggest things that we found was proper pricing for the right clients, right? So uh, we just, when we looked at it and you can go to agencyhacker.io and see a little case study that talks about this a little bit, but it's it was crazy to me how we could go and I think we had 900K or maybe uh, 950 in one year and hit like 1.8 million the next year Just from switching the way we build and changing prices and we closed almost the same number of people, but we could double revenue and more than doubles profits when you have like profit and revenue. They don't scale at the same level, right? Because your expenses don't go up quite as quickly. So for any agency owner, if you're like, man, I just, I feel stuck with clients. I really know I am serving well, but it's not commensurate value and I feel stuck in this. um, Yeah. Go to agencyhacker.io. Got a little bit of an explanation and just show you how we were able to increase prices because I think getting premium clients is one of the biggest steps if you're going to provide a premium service.
1: So. I love that. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I think that we, again, we're afraid to price ourselves up to our um, delivery capabilities, but yeah. um, there is a market for everybody. And exactly. um, it's okay if you want to systemize and um, you're okay with, with charging less, but you systemize the heck out of everything you offer one service. Yep. But I do feel like most agencies uh, are not charging enough. And mm-hmm. Because they're not charging enough, they don't have the resources to deliver the work that requires them um, to deliver and that will keep their clients on. And that's a conversation that I had to have with my clients when we increased the prices was, look man, I need my resources. You are hiring me for results. You're exactly. not hiring me for just specific type of work. Yes, those results are correlated with the specific type of work that I do, but I need my resources. I can't deliver this if I don't have the resources. And I think yeah. uh, the pricing, um, yeah, it, it's important.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. And the other interesting thing about clients that are a bit larger is the value, right? If you look at Bain, Bain and company where they talked about value-based pricing rather than a cost-based pricing. And I think that the value that you bring to someone that has more leverage is a lot higher. So it's just a different ball game. If someone says, like for us, one of the big problems that we want to solve is how do we set more appointments per hundred leads? Like right now, if you give us a a list of a hundred marketing directors at a company hundred million dollars and above, we're like, darn, we can get one, right? And if we can get five from that, then it would unlock a big thing in our business. And I feel like for that, you know, so it's not a big deal for us to say, yeah, we'll spend six grand on this test with. A new vendor who has a process that hopefully will work, but you know, not everything works out. Mm-hmm. If it did, there'd be so much leverage there, right? Like that's a seven figure solution Add another million, two million bucks to the agency. But for a person starting out, that six grand is going to be like very risky. And, and I was in the same place. We've all been there where you got 20 grand in your bank account or 10 grand in your bank account. Like you can't write a $6,000 check.
1: Exactly. So, no, yeah. that's, that's exactly it. I agree with that.
0: So just out of curiosity, you mentioned that you all, it sounds like you all have a bit of a roadmap, right? You're like, we need to go to clients that are going to get commensurate value because it's a little bit more of like, um, I think some agencies are productized, like you said, where they're very system and some mm-hmm. are consulting agencies and mm-hmm. consulting agencies can always level up. If you look at like the McKinseys or, uh, Bain is another one, right? Where they say they have extremely high paid consultants because someone with your experience, is going to need if you want to replace surge you need to pay somebody mm-hmm. a couple hundred thousand dollars a year right Where mm-hmm. it's replaceable but it costs six figures to do it mm-hmm. and um I, so I, I feel like knowing that it's going to be a high expertise agency it is a little bit of a different model than like we got a low expertise agency that does a whole lot of volume mm-hmm. um, so what's the strategy to say our, we know our ideal clients we know what value we can provide them. We've seen it before with other folks. What are your next steps or what are you all doing to make that happen?
1: Yeah, so for us over the last year, we've really focused on um, the hardware part of the business. So we've okay. had our operations on point. We um, we systemized what, was able, what we were able to systemize. We, we really defined the roles. We trained the team. We got a good team in place. We. Had to scale back on the team a little bit because um, a smaller team that delivers bigger projects, I think, can do a lot more and quicker than a bigger team that delivers uh, uh, smaller but multiple projects. Definitely. Now, the next step for us is the software part and huh. the software part. I'll call it the software part. It's it's the nuanced part, in my, in my opinion. So... Um, only working with clients that businesses that really match us is the next step so we came to a point where we're going to be um capping out very soon with and i can handle and that's okay i genuinely like the trade i don't want to give up being a marketer i thought about it i thought about just systemizing the heck out of it just delivering social media or influencer marketing because i have such good systems for it um probably make a course next year but i don't want that i i get a thrill i get a thrill from helping clients and consulting with them and creating strategy that's really my uh, my forte so i still want to work but i want to work with uh, a handful like a set of clients that i can i can handle so client matching is uh number one i would say the other part of it would be only spending time on um, high leverage activities. So I don't do fulfillment anymore, but I do train my team on what needs to be done. So when we encounter a new problem in one of our clients' projects, I actually uh, record that training so I can share with the other account managers and the other teams so that I don't have to constantly take care of the projects, but I can teach them as we go and everybody learns. Um, We've looked at the 80-20 part of, of, of our roles quite a lot. So I try not to spend time on low leverage activities anymore. Um, the other part that's um, not necessarily marketing or operations related, but I do think mindset plays a huge role in everything else mm-hmm. you. And I think that everybody can really be who they want to be, but it just have to have the right mindset. Um, I actually had a little bit of a revelation uh, not too long ago while meditating, where I've had it in my head that I've been keeping um, in my notebook kind of like a log of acting in accordance with who I want to be. So thinking of who I want to be, I want to be a seven-figure agency owner next year. Who do I need to be to become that? Well, I need to be reliable professional i need to solve problems i need to know my clients need to know that if they ask me for for help i can handle it and there's not going to be any doubt or question about how i'm going to handle it or will i be available to do it so to give an idea my clients um i have a client that called me because his shopify was down and he was in the middle of a huge huge uh sale so i'm talking these guys make 50 to 100 grand a weekend sale. Um, and he said, please help me. I don't know what to do. So I was going to dinner and I said, Serge, you got to go back. We came back. Serge went on um, on, uh, on chat support with Shopify. I called Shopify. So within a couple hours, we solved it. And that's the kind of person that I want to be. So for that, I will charge quite a little bit of money because I, <laughs> I yeah. solve big problems. So anyway, so I had in my mind of all of these attributes of a person that um earns this kind of money will have and then i said no i need to act like that right now this is not a who i'm going to be this is who i am if i want to be a seven-figure entrepreneur again i'm gonna act like a seven-figure entrepreneur i am already there the fact that that money is not in my bank account yet that's just a minor detail but i still have to act in accordance to it so that's when i start only taking clients that will be um will match with us um and other things that are. Um, Again, they're not necessarily the hardware stuff, but they're the software stuff. So things like detached decisions, right? So when I'm studying um, high-level entrepreneurs, they take emotion out of their decision-making a lot of the times. And that's actually one of the benefits of hiring an outside marketer like myself and not doing it yourself because you're passionate about your product. Not, I'm passionate about making your business work. I may or may not like your product. That's irrelevant, right? Okay. <laughs> so anyway... Stuff like detached decisions, uh, things like um, quick decisions. Working out more so I'm healthier, so I have more energy at work, so I can mm-hmm. push. You no, know, I can push more. Sleeping enough, sleeping at a consistent time, eating only high quality foods, going for longer periods of time without alcohol. Um, you know, reading instead of social media. So just habit stacking, taking habits from highly successful people and habit stacking. So. I can continue growing to this highly success, successful person. And in, it, from, from what I've studied, uh, from the masterminds and people that I look up to, um, it's not just the operations, not just the things that you can put on paper, but it's also things that you believe in, the thoughts that you feed yourself and um, your 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 habits and your behaviors and what you surround yourself with on the outside and on the inside. Um,
0: that's the way I see it <laughs> no it's it's neat so you you've got a couple different things like you said the hard stuff and then the soft skills so mm-hmm. hard skills soft skills right maybe the technical things and then those like exactly. the personal development pieces yeah I, I can see that and the, so switching gears a little bit you mentioned a lot of resources of right. the different types of ideas that have come up for you. Um, what do you do for learning? right? How do you, Because I think for a lot of agency owners, we can feel like we're so busy and we just don't have time for learning. But some things you hit on there were like your biggest gains are coming from new ideas that you're putting in place, new things you're learning. So what are some of the places you go to learn?
1: Yeah. Um, so I surround myself with entrepreneurs. I, we used to go to a lot of masterminds before, before COVID. So, um, we went everywhere, like, Jamaica, Bali, Thailand, uh, all over the world where you meet with other business owners and entrepreneurs. That was um, that was one of them. A lot of courses. So we invest a lot of money into courses, all sorts of courses. So content marketing courses, email marketing courses, leveling up courses. I follow um, entrepreneurs and I learn from them and uh, read their books. I, I like to read. So Every morning, I try to make room for for reading in my life. Even if it's just 30 minutes, um, I read. So instead of browsing social media first thing in the morning, I try very hard to keep my phone on airplane mode until after I'm done my deep work. So turn off my phone at night, and um, first thing in the morning is coffee, reading, um, um, yoga, meditation, and then deep work, and then I'm going to open up my phone. So I don't look at anything negative, anything that will... Paint my Zen for the day. <laughs> um, I would say that, yeah, masterminds, reading, following um, high level people and surround, surrounding myself with people on the same uh, mindset as me. So uh, people that want to better their lives, that want to continue growing professionally and personally, think uh, that saying you're the sum of or the average of the five people you surround yourself with. I definitely think that's true. I think that's
0: mm, no, I can see that. Mm. That's really helpful. And do you have like specific people that have been helpful in your journey, like an author or an influencer that has been really helpful resource for you?
1: I love Alex Hormozzi, and uh, he's so many reasons why I love him. It, he's incredibly smart and successful, but um, Alex, actually, a lot of the videos that I watch um, that he creates, he articulates a lot of my thoughts and fears And Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I feel almost, mm, I don't wanna say ashamed, but maybe afraid to be upfront about who I am and what I want, right? So um, there's a lot of conflicting advice online. For instance, don't work all the time, don't work 12 hour days, but I love working, right? So I don't, it's not that I don't have hobbies, but I'm in a period in my life where I'm really just focusing on work because I want to grow professionally and financially. And there's a lot of conflicting advice online and a lot of, Anti-work, you know, soft quitting, quiet quitting, whatever they call it now. Don't hustle. Hustle culture is dead. And then Alex Ramosi is like, yeah, man, like I I make $80 million a year however he makes now. And I work from, you know, the moment I wake up and the moment I go to sleep. And I'm like, see, this guy does it and he's an influencer and I want to do it too. So that's one of the reasons why I, I really like him. I've always, always liked Grant Cardone because he's so unapologetically himself. Yes. And he offends people, but no, people are offended by him. He doesn't offend them. Um, I would say those two, if I listen to them, um, and also Ray Dalio, I I think he's oh, just one yeah. of the smartest people that have ever existed. And um, uh, yeah, so those would be uh those would be, I would say, like my influences that I follow all the time. And um it, it does help to have a partner that is also very much into the same things as I am. So we costly challenge each other. And I learned a lot from search as well.
0: Nice. It's really interesting because when I talked to agency owners, I talked to a lot of agency owners and it's almost like there's shame behind wanting a specific path. Right. And I think we all, it's good to be ashamed of a bad thing, but deciding how you're going to grow your agency isn't a bad thing. And if you mm-hmm. are a person who wants to grow your agency and Five hours a week—that's not a bad thing. And if you're a person who wants to grow your agency in 12 hours a day, that's not a bad thing. And there's a lot of—I uh, I don't know—it's it, like the narratives of the one way, and it's probably counterproductive for selling agency consulting and and courses that we do at Agency Hacker. But I'm like, look, here is a way to do it. This is this is like the the components like. Maybe it's the way for you. Maybe it's not the way for you, but it's a way. And if, if we could just get rid of, I think sometimes we're looking for certainty. And so Mm -hmm. we are looking for a guru to tell us this is the way here is the path up the mountain, but there's a lot of ways to successfully grow an agency and everybody has a little bit of a different take.
1: Of course. Of course. But we're also looking for the way that fits our narrative, right? The the way that we're comfortable with. And of course, we're going to be comfortable with waking up at seven and not at five. Of course, we're going to be comfortable with taking all the weekends off. I have not taken two weekends off in a very long time. And I'm okay with that. Because if I have anxiety, most of my anxiety comes from not being prepared at work and Ooh. not uh, not finishing my work. So for me, Sundays are perfect to work because nobody bothers me. Nobody expects anything from me. <laughs> I can sit there with my thoughts. And Sunday night from, let's say, 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. is my favorite time to work. And I feel so prepared for Monday. I'm just ready to, to tackle the week. And it's not very well received by a lot of people because I work all the time, any time off, but we actually don't need time off. We don't even go on vacation. So we travel a lot. So we travel all the time. We live out of, out of suitcases, 23 kilos each more like 25 for me but uh, <laughs> the people at the airport have been really really nice uh, let <laughs> but um we don't take vacation because we don't we don't need to we take rest absolutely we take trips we um we we try to have a very we like to have an integrated lifestyle where we you know this summer we were on the dalmatian coast for the most part and we had a lot of days where we were you know going swimming, biking, having ice cream, maybe having a glass of wine in the early um, afternoon. And then we would start work at 4 p.m., which is uh, 10 a.m. Canadian time. And that would be yeah. fine. We don't need to take all this time off. Um, if we needed to, we would, but it's not very well received.
0: Yeah. We, yeah. And
1: too I, much. we work too much. and uh,
0: Yeah, there's a lot of freedom, right? We, there's, I think the freedom... Uh, to work rather than freedom from work is a real thing too yeah. oh, and
1: yes yes it, you, i like that i really like that
0: <laughs> and i feel like you, you guys are providing a good service for your clients i i, I really would love for you all to give a, st- a shout out to snap advantage if there's an e-commerce store or anybody listening that says oh we need to diversify our traffic channels how should they get in touch with you how could they find out more
1: Yeah, you can uh, go to snapadvantage.com. You can find all of our contact information there. I'm also on LinkedIn. So if you search for Sandra Stepan, I will probably pop up. And I'm on LinkedIn daily. And I post content daily. So if you're not really sure um, if you need anything uh, or, you know, any advice from me yet, you can see what kind of content and services that I offer. And that would be probably the best way to get in touch.
0: The LinkedIn content snowball is really starting. I think there have been a couple other people I've talked to recently that, are like, "Yep, LinkedIn is my daily content production area."
1: I which... have to show you. Sorry to interrupt. I was just no go to-
0: for it. Yeah.
1: I went to bed last night at uh, two p two a m. That's why I'm four coffees in today. Is because I was creating my new LinkedIn content <laughs> strategy on paper. Wow, I'm this is,
0: that is awesome.
1: I this Airbnb. So yes, that's why I was up at two a m.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness, I totally appreciate it. I feel like a good chunk of my prayer time is me talking to God about like. My new idea for a yes. LinkedIn strategy, or a yes. new idea for direct <laughs> mail piece, or whatever. So, totally appreciate. It.
1: We can talk about it. I yeah, no, like content creation, and I love LinkedIn. It's a it's a. That's piece. so fun. Love it. <laughs> well, Sandra,
0: what's a piece of advice you would leave other agency owners with, and not necessarily just new agency owners, but just agency owners in general?
1: Okay, A piece of advice would be so I would say um, hmm how do you how do you react to swear words here not the worst but can I just say uh, the world doesn't really owe you shit um, <laughs> one lesson that I learned in my in my entrepreneurial life is that the world literally owes me nothing it's up to us to create opportunities it's up to us to show the world how good we are I do believe that you're worth um, fortunate Fortunately or unfortunately, it is determined by outside factors. Um, Yes, you can say you're worth a million dollars, but if you don't solve a million dollar problem for me, you're not worth that to me. So as an entrepreneur, um, have that humility to realize that it's up to you to make your opportunities. It's up to you to show your target audience and your your customers and your clients what problems you can solve for them and give first before you ask. Because, uh, you know, we think that... um, we're entitled to this and that, but I didn't think yeah. we're not. Can sound a little bit harsh, and I hope that was uh, that was okay verbiage, but um, it's it's a lesson that um, when, when I added a bit of... Uh, <sighs> when I took a little bit of the ego out of my business equation, my business really flourished. When I realized that mm-hmm. I need to act uh, with a little bit more humility and realize that uh, if I'm asking people for money for my services or products, I am not entitled to anything until I can prove myself. So it was up to prove
0: myself. Agreed. Great. Well, Sandra, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was really fun to hear about your journey. I love plugging outbound and the, just giving a shout out to prospecting methods that are are predictable. Uh, thanks for sharing some wisdom and advice with all our listeners.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. This has been great.
0: And for any agency owners listening, hopefully all of the agency owners listening, we'd love to have you on the show. We're doing uh, we, just, we just talk to other agency owners and we hear about what they're doing, how they got started, problems they're solving. So go to our website, AgencyHacker.io. And there's a link to come on the show. Uh, Or if you know someone who should be on the show, we'd love to have them. So thanks again for listening. Please like, rate, subscribe. I don't know, turn our own videos into TikToks. Do whatever you want with the stuff. But yeah, really glad you, you came on as listeners.